Hey, welcome to Radicalized, where truth survives and we got your back. I'm Heidi Kuda. I'm here with Jim Stewartson, High Fidelity, and Sean Connor, OGs in the battle against disinformation. Gentlemen, right after we dropped our super smoking hot episode three with Brent Allpress, uh, Jim got permanently banned from Twitter. We put together a timeline. We put together a timeline to show exactly how that went down. Sean, do you have that timeline? I do. Let me pop it up here. One sec. Yeah, why don't you pop that up? Pop it up. You know, what did you guys do? <laughs> Normally, I'm go. the guy making drama, and here comes Jim. All right, so we're just going to go through a quick breeze through on Gimpgate. On November 29, 2021, <laughs> Gimp -gate. Oh, at 6 a.m., we, we dropped... Uh, yeah. The third episode, smoking hot, so much incredible information talking about the pathways to radicalization and, and, and how we can combat this with some radical empathy. And by right. 6.10, Jim 610. woke up to the news of what happened then, Sean. Here you go. D dear Jim, you're fucked. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so Jim got... <laughs> Jim got... Jim got Jim got permanently banned. And then what happened next, Sean? Then I called Jim. Then Sean calls Jim. <laughs> and then Sean calls Heidi. And then Heidi promptly cries, followed by yeah. mobilizing <laughs> followed by yeah. mobilizing a large Twitter activist community to start uh, arguing on Jim's behalf that they misinterpreted the word gimp and sundry other faults. Yes. We will we will be explaining what exactly happened to earn that permanent ban. That the word the word gimp was utilized in context of Joe Rogan and uh Bannon. Steve Bannon. Yeah. Yeah. Steve yeah. So uh we, we mobilized. Uh I was calling Hi Fi. Hi Fi had overslept because he'd been up all night battling trolls. And at nine AM we issued the official statement on mm -hmm. Jim's permanent ban. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That was, goes, that was key. 9-10, Gimgate starts. <laughs> yeah, 9-10, we got Gimgate starting. Yep. By uh, 922, Kathy Griffin weighs in, our dear friend yep. Kathy Griffin, and she starts the free Jim Stewartson, or she mobilizes Actually, the free Jim Stewartson yeah. army. Unfortunately, Unfortunately yeah. Kathy Griffin's well-intentioned with bring back Jim Stewartson didn't get on, but free Jim Stewartson did. Yes, that's by, right. Uh, and by 9.52, yep, go ahead. 950, by 9.52, Heidi tweets, we are all Jim Stewartson changing her profile photo to a picture of Jim, followed by a legion of other people changing their profile picture to pictures of Jim. It was causing so weird. Causing it was weird. Causing me huge anxiety attacks all day long because I thought Jim was tweeting simultaneously from across the world. Oh yeah, and, it was it was hysterical. It was, and keep uh, in mind, uh, this was our this episode. We've done three incredible episodes, but this one was incredibly strong. So for it to be immediately for one of our core generals to be taken out permanently off of Twitter, that meant like eighteen months of work was just gone. So there was pain upon pain upon pain. And then right. what happens? Then you get some international press from independent anti-fascist yeah. anti-fascist band. These are the best headlines, by the way. That is some bucket list shit right there. Look at that. <laughs> the no work here is done. I'm just saying. Yeah. Hang it in the loop. Hang it in the loop. Right. Here we go. And, Next day. and so 
So uh, one thing that's not on the timeline was the 16 times that Hi-Fi called me because I oh, was yeah. very sad and very emo. And Hi-Fi <laughs> kept me strong all through that's the right. night, love bombing me, making sure that I was going to survive. And then there I was, so sad, at 12.59 p.m., Jim reappears in our DMs. And so lo and behold, guys. his permanent ban was Oops. reinstated. Yep, he's back. <clears throat> yeah, yeah cracks anyway. knuckles. Cracks knuckles are back. 6 p.m. So knuckles, a, that was the best part, yeah. Uh, and then, well, of course, done, we had a Twitter sorry. Spaces celebration. So, Jim, before we get into some of the news of the day, do you want to just say one thing about Gimpgate to our audience who were so incredibly brilliantly supportive of you? Yes. First of all, I just want to clarify, I did not call Joe Rogan a gimp. I called him Steve Bannon's gimp. There's a difference. There really Keith. is a difference. And um, to everybody, uh, all my friends on, on Twitter and elsewhere, uh, I could not be more honored by the fact that you gave a shit at all, much less put me on billboards and stuff. Like that, <laughs> That's right. I was bananas. And, yeah. and you know, uh, thank you again. And to all, to the people who are dancing on my fucking grave, <laughs> noted. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it, we we saved Ferris. Hi, Mike. It was beautiful. It was beautiful, and the fact that a oligarch, uh, as Hi-Fi points out, an oligarch slash you know, uh, uh, Arabic oil money uh, newspaper was the one to give us the headline was like an we extra layer of cool. It was, it was an extra layer of cool. In London, yeah. they gave it what? Of course, so, it was. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible influence war, and there we were. But we became influencers in that moment. We got we got yeah. our you know our, our core our core guy back. It was. I had no idea, man. I was I was sitting there on medium with my <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> he was away angrily. He cranked up two media blogs. I, 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 yes, I told you, awesome. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> From the desk of Jim Stewartson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. I, I, I have been a publicist in a previous life, so it was easy for me to uh, start doing publicist type stuff. They, but they only you. made me stronger. I know. One thing die. before we get into uh, the news is we do want to say thanks to you all. Our numbers spiked through the roof. So, uh, what what was not a publicity stunt, but was a real. Uh, you know, permanent ban that became unpermanent uh, actually really brought some attention to the show, including my friend Gail Ann Hurd of Terminator Aliens and Walking Dead fame, who thinks this is the best podcast uh, at all of, of all in dealing with this uh, kind of terrain that we deal with. So shout out to Gail. Um, but thank, thank you, everybody thank you, so much. All right, so let's get right into uh, the word of the week, which is actually the phrase of the week, Hi-Fi. Have we actually had a word of the week yet? Or, or, or <laughs> no. I think we're going to go with phrase of the week now, because uh, they're, all, they're all phrases. I, 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 I got we have four not words of the week. <laughs> I got a word for the week. Just, Are you ready? Let's just Okay, let's agree. do it. Let's do it. Let's, hold on, let's run it. Your knowledge on. I got a new uh, dude. You've been busy. I got a new plug in. I guess so. <laughs> 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 I 
All I want That's for great. Christmas is a new plug-in. Okay, so authoritarian <laughs> capture. That's some serious shit. Laid on us, high five. All right, authoritarian capture. Authoritarian capture is the control of media, elections, education, courts, uh, other democratic institutions by a populist. And by populist, what I mean is that, you know, the guy, the, the individual says, I'm a man of the people. And some people are behind him, but not the majority of people. So that's a populist. These populist politicians, uh, they take control of these institutions to suppress civil society, which I think every normal human is for, and also populist politics. Uh, sorry, populism politics. Uh, basically right. saying that everyone engages in politics, uh, you know, with some of the the voting restrictions that one party is passing in the United States. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and why it's very important is that there was never a day that the majority of the Germans woke up and voted for Hitler. It did not happen. I learned that from Ann Nelson. And why it's important is when we see all this fuckery going on and we're wondering what's happening with the school boards, we're wondering what's happening, you know, with our voter systems, it's part of authoritarian capture. This is something we will talk more about, um, but it's important yeah. that we put that, uh, plant that information. Indeed. Uh, another thing I'd like to point out is you can actually see this historically uh, in relatively real time. If you look at Hungary with Orban, if you look at uh, Belarus with Lukashenko, if you yes. look at what's going on in Poland, uh, you know, what Le Pen is pushing for in France. It's a, yeah. It's and a I might even say, if you look about what DeSantis is doing in Florida, you can throw that in there. So this is a, this is really key. And what's interesting is last week when you brought up, I think it was stochastic terrorism or the week before, that word is now mm -hmm. in the zeitgeist. So it's important that we push this these phrases in the zeitgeist. And I'm very glad that you opened with that because we will be talking about it with our rock star, superstar guest, Paul Mason, Paul coming Mason. up in just a little while. That is so cool. You got to stay with us, of course, because we got Paul Mason coming up as our guest. He's incredible. He wrote How to uh, Stop Fascism and many other important books, uh, and a former BBC Channel 4. And then we also have another Sean Connor Digital Descent at the end as our gift to our viewers. All right, so let's get on to um, let's get on to White Matters. Sean, rock and Ready? roll. Why hide fidelity? Why does it matter? All right. Let me tell you why yeah. it matters. Uh, hit the road, Jack. Twitter CEO. By the way, that's awesome, Sean. Thank you. Uh, wow. Dude. I'm the British accent. Or something. Yeah. It's actually a Welsh, Welsh accent. No, I don't know if it is or not. <laughs> I, I like it. Whatever it is, I like it. Uh, I'll send you the MP3. Go ahead. Nice. Um, so uh, CEO of Twitter, well, is now former CEO of Twitter. Jack Dorsey stepped down from Twitter. Uh, and why does this matter? Well, going back to the phrase of the week, authoritarian capture. Uh, there's a gentleman uh, named Singer behind Elliott Investments uh, who has ties to the Manhattan Institute, uh, which is behind a lot of 
racist surveillance capitalism. Um, what also happened since Jack Dorsey stepped down, Jim got suspended, and we have seen a abuse of Twitter's some of Twitter's new policies by uh, right wing accounts to remove information about people doing bad things publicly in their communities. So authoritarian capture being used to silence media. And I think what what basically this means is that we should all be archiving our work on Twitter, which is where this war has been fought since Trump was using it as his uh, bullhorn. Uh, we should be archiving our work and we should already be looking into the future for the next uh, platforms because it sounds to me like Twitter may end up becoming uh, further right than it potentially is. Uh, that's my personal concern. Yep. Uh, well, they couldn't uh, make Gitter work. They couldn't make Parler work. So now they're coming for Twitter, I guess. What's up, truth, so, truth, truth Social? Anybody heard? Oh, God. Don't, <laughs> Jim, don't what do you me, say? Yeah, I just wanted to, to uh, a little shout out to the Manhattan Institute, uh, which... Uh, um, is not, it sounds, you know, s just like one of those other institutes, but was actually started by uh, Reagan's CIA director, William. And Jim freezes. Freezing up, Jimmy. He'll, he'll come back. Um, yeah. He'll come back. It... Repeat that last line again, Jim. Uh, so, so you were just saying by his by the CIA, Reagan CIA uh, director William K Weiss. William Casey, Reagan yeah. CIA director, founded the Manhattan Institute in the in the seventies. In the in the early eighties, it started a huge number of racist ops, starting starting with um, uh, welfare reform and welfare queens for reagan in the early 80s um yep. going on to the bell curve going on to anti-education going i mean it, it is a long series of of racist ops including broken windows which was the racist op, yep. uh, um, policy in new york city um, that then, believe it or not, turned into Palantir, turned into a whole bunch of other really dark shit. Um, I have a whole thread on it, and I'll, I will yep. put it up, um, uh, or we will we'll put it up. Please on the, do. In the I mean, I learned, I'm, I'm a CPA groupie, because they actually, you know, death and taxes, the CPAs know what's up. And I learned that the biggest welfare queens are the Republican elite, because they certainly oh, go yes, for their government, their government tax breaks. So that's always been a myth and something that really pisses me off personally. And of course, yeah. Robert Mercer loves, you know, Manhattan well, Mer Institute and all that. Mercer, Mercer funds it, um, yeah. you know, along with a, a variety of other uh, fascists and, and traitors. So, right. All right. Um, so oh, there by we the go. way, uh, importantly, this is important. Anti-CRT, that whole fucking op is Manhattan Institute. It was started by a little shithead named Christopher Rufo. Um, who is a yeah, senior yeah. fellow at the Manhattan Institute and one of the nastiest little fuckers in the I, planet. Sorry. He is, uh, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm they're just, trying to monetize or something. I don't speaking know. the truth. What? Are we? We're no. no, we're not. Say what you want, Jim. <laughs> well, that was a hell of a, a banging way to start our uh, Why It Matters. So let's move in right along here so we can keep things uh, going.
All right. So we can get to Paul, uh, but I, this is exciting. Though. Yes. This is great I, shit. I do want to get to Paul. All right. Uh, Maxwell has her moment. Hey, uh, Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, first week in court, uh, we heard from the pilot uh, who said, yeah, I flew Trump and Bill Clinton on Epstein's plane. Um, we heard from, you know, a anonymous victim, Jane. Uh, we heard from her boyfriend, Matt also anonymous, and we heard from uh, the gentleman who ran their household for them. And one one thing that has not been pointed out, and perhaps it's been due to sexism, is it's very possible Ghislaine Maxwell could have been Jeffrey Epstein's uh, handler, as pointed out by Jeannie Jardin. Yeah. Uh, all I know is that I used to do a lot of stories on human trafficking when I was working in uh, local broadcast news in LA and uh, in pimp vernacular, she was, she was called a woman like that was called the bottom B I T C H. Uh, that meant that they were the main woman who was going out attracting the other women and She's judging by judging by many of the court documents that I have read from these young girls, that was who she was, um, the bottom, I'll, I'll just say it, the bottom bitch. And uh, so allegedly, obviously, um, but, you know, this is so deep. And obviously her father ended up, you know, belly belly up on the Hudson River. So <clears throat> there's well, a history. The rumors are Robert he had ties to Mossad and ties to the CIA. Uh, yeah, and, there, yeah, there's all kinds of fucked up shit. Robert Maxwell, they, they, yeah, not a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, and I will just say say that I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, QAnon and a lot of these, uh, you know, bad um, fictional cult ideologies have sex trafficking in them. I think there is a, a very, a bunch of very dark, not, not, not to be <laughs> blue and on here, but there, but Ep Epstein is the, the, you know, top of a pyramid of really awful shit. Yes. Um, yes. And, Black and, blackmailer to the stars too. So, and, and you know, yeah. it's, I don't, and Trump's BFF. Um, and yeah, I know. I, so I don't think it's a coincidence that, um, you know, a lot of the, the disinformation out there is around sex trafficking to, well, to whitewash their, their crimes. Right. And of course, in Trump's orbit are, you know, dozens and dozens of, of people who are convicted sex traffickers, pedophiles. So the other thing it accomplishes by putting out this narrative is the normalization of Absolutely. that type of world. So therefore, when it really comes to them, you know, in, in legal cases, it is, I think, I think people are a bit more kind of inured to it. So excellent points, gentlemen, and we'll be watching how this unfolds. And now uh, we have a little bit of uh, news from uh, the mother country. <laughs> ah, uh, all right. Uh, Rush, Rush well done. Alexis. Thank you. Uh, so what's happening right now is Putin is building up uh, you know, 75 to 175,000 troops along the Ukrainian border at different points, threatening to invade territory. Uh, looks like the Donbass region will be annexed. Um, yeah, uh, Putin's causing world chaos because that's what Putin does. That's what Putin needs. He needs chaos uh, for him to operate. And as we said in the rundown meeting, I think it was a mistake of my 
dearly beloved President Joe Biden to have met with him in any credible way. He's a war criminal, a uh, parasite on his own country. And I know this team doesn't even believe that he's an authentic president because he's gamed the system in his own country and no, led his own people. He's a fascist dictator. It's that simple. No, no. Like, yeah. like Putin's pure. Putin is a pure fascist. All yeah. he cares about is power, money, um, territory. He is. Yeah. He wants to accumulate as much as possible. Right. He's also. He also believes it's a zero sum game, as all fascists do, meaning right. that other countries and other entities have to be either taken over or diminished in order for him to gain more power. I was reading through uh, uh, Alexandria Chalupa's threads the other day, and so apparently there's uh, quite a number of the oligarch, the the mafioso, the big, the higher level guys are really pissed off at Putin. So he's kind of trying to play patching up some relationships, and he's not in the best favor with the uh, with the elite ruling class. Oh, they hate him. They hate him. Yeah. They've hated him for a long time. You saw the way he made uh, Oleg Deripaska. You yeah. Know, look like exactly. a, a bed like a dog on camera for him. Yeah, they, they sure. you know, it's gonna be very interesting. Um, I believe in what Gandhi says, the stories never end well for these guys. So it'd be yeah. very interesting. And if you look at the history of Russia, you know, Trotsky gets the ice pick, you know, there's yeah. there's there's not a lot of, you know, look how Mussolini got it. So, well, more to be revealed, but um, I wouldn't hold out hope that he's gonna have a lovely retirement in one of the, you know, mansions he grifted from the people. Um, okay, so you have a little bit of news on uh, news that you broke last week too. You have something positive to talk about. Something positive to talk about. First off, allow me to say shout out to the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. Yeah. Uh, you can find them online at antihate.ca. Uh, go give them some love, send them appreciation, buy them a cup of coffee. Because with their information, we were able to report that, you know, uh, Romana Dedulo, the Canadian QAnon queen, had, uh, she had been calling for the death of healthcare providers, educators, and politicians. Yeah, serious and, shit. And so we reported, you know, we talked about that Monday morning. Wednesday afternoon, she was picked up by the RCMP uh, for a mental health evaluation and further good. investigation good excellent and she's she's either one another one of those classic grifters that we've been following or she's batshit so you know we'll see what happens but that is a bit of why not news. both i yeah. know right yeah i know what what just like with Russia, you can't ask binary questions. You know, it's, it doesn't have we, to be we need, one or we the need other. like a gold star animation for when we get one. <laughs> oh, right on! Right? Yes, <laughs> yes. Sweet. Put another, put another one on the list. Sean will have one by the end of uh, this episode. Okay, fantastic, Hi-Fi. Thank you for an incredible news block. Right, um, and uh, thank you for breezing it, uh, us through it because we're so excited about getting into Hellscape and then getting uh, Paul to get us out of this Hellscape. Okay, so uh, let's cue up Jim Stewartson's Hellscape. All right, let's see if you guys, you guys might not see it, but here it goes. Jim Stewartson's Hellscape. Oh, fuck. Whoops. There it goes. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. All right. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Oh, fuck. 
Okay, so we do have some serious oh fuck shit that happened, and I'd love Jim to to get us into it and get us through it because uh, you know a bunch of choir boys in uh, Best Buy uniforms, you know, <laughs> showed up at the Capitol. We're gonna show that. You want to run it now? Sure. Yeah, let's yep. show that. Just real, just a minute of it. Just a pinch, man. I gotta sure. do it without headphones. All right, that's enough. Yeah, kill that. So, so look, the the here, here's the thing. It's not about these fucking larpers, these you know idiots running around in their khakis in the Capitol, right? Like. That shit happens in in societies. The difference is, what do you do about it when a bunch of fucking Nazis descends on the Capitol? What do you do about that? Well, what the Capitol Police and the D.C. Police decided to do was protect them. So, the problem is that if we do that, if we allow this to happen, if it keeps going we're going to lose our democracy. We have got to figure out a way to make anti-fascism legitimate, meaning we can, like fascism's bad. Our fucking cops yeah. need yeah. to know that. Our government yeah. needs to know that. We, we have got to. to get real about that. And we got to de-escalate this shit. Around and enable that to happen, to enable them to shout Nazi slogans in, in front of our house that they almost took over, you know, 10 months ago. Yeah. Pisses and, me off. And right. And to stop. And this is why Germany has laws against this kind of shit, uh, because they've seen it before. And, um, and Sean, what did you find out about their tech, technotronics? Which part? With who? With the uh, Patriot with Front. The well, Patriot did, Front. Yeah, didn't you find out something uh, Russia related? I was, yeah, you know, I, I was a little looking for that, and you know, through the Andrei Lupa and things like that. And what I was reading was the the ProPublica article, was the article that everyone kept referencing. Um, and so I kept going back to that. I didn't mention Russia necessarily, but the leader of uh, the Patriot Front had had ties in earlier organizations to Russia. Didn't so, you find yeah. out their website or their web domain or there was oh, yeah. some kind of link there? That's right. Through, uh, yeah, Raven <laughs> and the, uh, is that what you meant by technotronics? <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> she doesn't understand. Uh, is that an onstage firework? Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, Raven LeMaven, everybody's favorite Twitter spirit animal, the, uh, uh, digs through the the, uh, the connections on the websites found that they were hosted by, of course, the Russian uh, hosting company. Um, oh, isn't that lovely? Uh, that's is that's so nice. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I, I did have I did have a, a fake uh, a fake leftist account tell me today. Well, well, yeah, all the uh, they all got uh, banned off of American servers and European servers and have to go to Russia now. Um, Oh, no, that's not true because Epic hosts them. So that's I don't right. know what kind of arguments they're making there. Well, just like, just like you, you don't have to have a dot or you email account. And, and you guys know one of the leaders of the neo-Nazi movement is is living in St. Petersburg, the 
you know, the gangster capital of Russia. So we see this over and over again. But to Jim's point, yeah, we got to do something about it. We know that our military is being infiltrated. We know that our law enforcement is being infiltrated uh, through these pathways to radicalization. We got to do something about it. I can't wait to discuss some of this stuff with Paul coming up here. Um, uh, Jim, you also have some interesting news on a new senatorial candidate. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know if we have any uh, any visuals for, for this guy, uh, but Dr. Oz, Mehmet Oz, uh, oh. who's dual citizenship, uh, Turkish American, um, is is 100% um, uh, an op. He is, he is uh, business partners with a number of Mike Flynn business partners. He went into to uh, to the television business with Nazar Kazimini, um, who is you know one of the dirtiest um, dudes on the planet, um, and um, you know he has just a variety of connections to um, bad actors. I will put that thread in the comments. Uh, it's too long to to go through it at this yeah. point. Um, right. but they reach very, very all the way back yeah. to um, his sister Saval, who's also uh, director of um, you know marketing or something at Google, um, who was in Afghanistan with Kazamini and Flynn's other partner Bijan Kion, um, doing psyops in Afghanistan when Flynn was in charge of army psyops. Um, as far as I know, theirs were off book, but there's some very, very dark, weird shit going on with the Oz family, and there is zero chance that that dude should be anywhere near the Senate. Do you want to run that video or not? Do you guys want? Uh, oh, we should probably uh, skip it. We're running, we're yeah, behind. you know what? Yeah, and you can and you can let Paul know that he can come now because we're getting to our last one. I I told him three forty-five. Oh, great! I'm so excited that he's here. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! You get you guys get to see me be a fangirl. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, he's been running around doing a you know disinformation and health, you know, medical disinformation during a fucking global pandemic, and um, got well, these he, guys. He also said uh, that that um, you know we really need to open the schools because it'll only increase mortality by two or three percent yeah that's right you didn't say you that. don't two or three percent sacrifice children sorry the, yeah you, you know it, it, it means he's a fucking sociopath right you can't mm -hmm. right you cannot have that reaction without thinking of people as as numbers um, yes which is not something you want in the Senate. He's also a Swedenborgian, so look that up. It's fucking weird. <laughs> well, I do think just like we need to de-escalate the fascist project, which we'll be talking to Paul about, we need to frickin' de-escalate these TV stars that are really uh, operatives out to harm our democracy. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I, I'm I, glad I gotta I'm glad say Oprah, man. I love yeah. I, I used to love Oprah. Yeah. But the more and more I look into these bad actors, man, like everybody she platforms is JD Vance, up, including JD this Vance, you know, Dr. Phil, like Dr. Phil. It. It's a concern. It's Rupinski, a concern. Like I have a, I have a concern. It's a pattern yeah. of bad behavior. 
Well, yeah. we'll, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's uh, put some yeah. thought and some investigatory <laughs> prowess on that. that. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, I mean, honestly, uh, we're, we're going to call it like we see it. This is a show about truth. We want truth to survive. And if some of the iconic people ended up getting, you know, sucked into this uh, really negative world from whatever it could be, whether it's blackmail or, you know, whatever nefarious activities are occurring, we have to call it out. And right now it's looking pretty sus and that's very terribly disappointing. But um, these are conversations that we have to have. All right. So I'm looking forward to just you sort of uh, kind of giving us a, uh, you know, do we want to do the gimp gate explainer or do we want to get right to crumblies? I mean, we I have, think we a, got, I think we did the, I kind of feel enough. like we did the, gimp yeah, gate but let's, let's, let's just look at, at, at Thomas Massey for a minute. Right. Because I think it, I think to. I think this is a good segue into into Paul. And just yeah. to, just so our uh, audience knows, we had a serious conversation in our rundown meeting about whether or not we would show this image, and we ended up deciding we would blur the faces of the children, um, and that's because we don't want to normalize this stuff. This is not normal. These children posing with their Christmas tree. This is not normal. These guys are not victims of a liberal you know, a cabal that's trying to take away their guns. These are domestic terrorists posing under trees and radicalizing their children to think this is okay and it's not okay. It's, it's stochastic terrorism. Like, hey, everybody should have a gun. Let's go get guns. And, and you're normalizing. You know, how long until the next Rittenhouse? Well, like, I how also How long until the next crumble? So, so we need... Go ahead. Go ahead, Jim. Uh, yeah, the, he did this the day after four children were murdered. Right. Yeah. The fucking day after, and he did that right. on purpose. Right. Yeah. The, the entire point of shit like this is to be traumatic, right? Is to, to continue, this stuff continuously bashes the, the, the morality and empathy out of the people who are exposed to it on a regular basis. That's right. right. They start, you know, much less these fucking kids who were handed automatic, um, you know, weapons uh, right. to, to to pose for uh, Christmas? Right. Um, so look, the the yes, we should we should not um, normalize it. We should not you know frivolously share it. On the other hand, we have to look at it. We have yeah. to look at it, and we have to say, look, we cannot. This is not acceptable in our fucking society. It's not. And if we don't have laws, if we don't, if there are no uh, consequences to shit like this, especially from a public official, then we need different laws and more accountability because Uh, it's not enough. Our freedoms are continually being used to erode our democracy. And before we get on to our guests, thank you for that, Jim. That was very powerful. Uh, most of our viewers know that I celebrated 19 years of that alcohol, December 2nd, but I do think we need a drinking game because at least once episode, one time an episode, Hi-Fi Elvis says, it's stochastic terrorism. I think <laughs> yes, that's the time to take, that's time to take a wrong? shot. <laughs> no, wrong. you're not. You're not. It is detached. Okay. And that's with the worst that, congratulations, that Heidi. Proud of you. Yeah, if I could get through the last five years, man, uh, yeah, no you know, it was, uh, it, yeah, so uh, thank you very much. Um, 
but I want to say that right now, um, thank you. That was a hell of a fucking great open to our show. We are now going to get to Paul Mason. He is an author. He is a newsman. He is uh, ex-BBC, ex-Channel 4. Uh, he is uh, an... Uh, Fucking love him is what he is. So right now we're seeing you. We're seeing you a little bit blurry, Paul. So we're gonna kind of toy around until we get a clear view. I know you guys. Yeah. Okay. Could he hear us? Is the is the key thing? I can hear you. Hello. Okay. Hello. Fantastic. Hello, if if we have to, you can put maybe a profile shot up, but try to stay with us. You'll probably unfreeze. And the less you move around, the better. Sure. Um, Paul, holy, oh, there you are. Holy shit, we're happy you're here. The boys prepared, <laughs> they read They read material, you know, like they did their homework. Um, I, thought, I thought one thing that we could do is you could give people like your uh, elevator, uh, you know, pitch on who and what you are. And then I thought we might listen to a little bit of that audio from um, the uh, elderly person who was installed uh, as our fake president a few years ago to kick us off on a conversation on January 6th. Hello. Well, yes, uh, my name is Paul Mason. I am a um, British journalist. So I'm just taking my weird um, bubble off my earphones there. So, yeah, I'm, my name's Paul Mason. I'm a British journalist. I'm speaking to you from London, where it is almost midnight. Um, yes. And if you see something move behind me, it's my dog. She's asleep, but, but, she's, but it's midnight. And um, yeah, so I um, dur during my time as a as a TV journalist, I, I covered some of the amazing you know global stories, you know Enron, sort of Lehman Brothers, the rise of of the Chinese workers movement, uh, the global financial crisis, the Gaza war, Greece, you name it. I've done all that. Um, Hurricane Katrina. To Katrina, I was there when Bush came. Bush came over in his. Uh, in his uh, Pavlo helicopter, and I don't, yeah. you know, watch it as as people were kind of, you know, yeah. thousands of black people, um, you know, mainly black people, assembled around the clover leaves outside uh, outside New Orleans, uh, and Bush just kind of came and looked in a in a helicopter. Yeah, yeah. but so I, I I did that, and then the reason I quit was, you know, in um, I had a very good job, uh, you know, in in the you know, a kind of very sort of front and center of, of the news bulletin I worked for. Um, in the middle of the last decade, it became obvious to me that um, huge changes in politics were about to happen. Not just, I mean, I didn't predict Trump, but I predicted Brexit. Brexit was the same phenomenon as Trump, the mobilization of white working class people uh, around a nationalistic agenda, uh, which, to which liberalism and even conservative liberalism here in Britain the traditional conservative uh, center center right. They had no answer to it, and I just wanted to be in that world in a way where you can state your opinions, yeah. go on demonstrations, um, uh, which you can't do if you're a, um, a, a public service TV broadcast. Not that's at, right. Not here, I mean, in your country, you can you can more or less call for genocide on TV and still be called a journalist, but uh, not here. Well, you can still I, I be a politician. I know. <laughs> I I appreciate um, you sharing that because I tapped out of corporate news uh, in 2013 and and told 
the only female manager left in the building when I walked out that I would see her in the bread line before I ever came back to the building. And that's a true story. Um, and I believe bias should be truth. And I don't believe in this Roger Ailes, both sidesism shit. You can't have somebody who's a liar and someone who's telling the truth and call that journalism. So I'm so glad that you are free to write the books you do, uh, how to stop fascism, and uh, you know, and be here with us today, stating your full-throated <laughs> opinion of things. So, on that happy note, do you want to play a little bit of that audio, um, just so we sure. can cue Paul up into uh, yeah. talking about January sixth and how he sees it? Sure thing. And I'm gonna have to unplug because I get triggered. <laughs> Well, let me find this first here, guys. Mm -hmm. so, um, I'll pop it in when I find it here, Heidi. Okay, no worries. What he was going to play was the, the audio that you selected in your podcast where you, just days after January 6th, I think by January 11th, you had an incredible, insightful analysis of what that was and why it compared to 1930s fascism. And I and so we here understand and believe you and we're students of this. How can we, how can you tell our viewers who may or may not know what this is, what happened and what led up to January 6th? Anything you think that's most important well, as look, the takeaways? We, we, knew, we know a lot more now than we knew right after January the 6th. And I think in summary, we could say, this is how the event looks to, to me, almost a year on, 11 months on. Um, it, is, it, it was a serious attempt by the president to force Pence uh, to go down a legal route that had been pre-prepared, which would have annulled the general election, the presidential election. That was, a, you know, we, we now know that Trump was ensconced with lawyers, ensconced with advisors, they had the plan they needed to do, which was to, to simply to throw back the votes of various states at the states themselves. The mobilization was, was meant, I think, to do two things. It was, first of all, meant to pressure Trump and the Republican lawmakers uh, on Capitol Hill to, to go along with that process. It was also clearly, uh, I think this will come out, meant to create a a physical fact, a physical reality that there is no government, that there is chaos in Washington. And, you know, imagine imagine if the scenes playing out of, you know, people sitting on Nancy Pelosi's desk, people, you know, cops being uh, seriously injured. If that had played out at a time when when Pence had said, Do you know what, four states, you're going to have to re-vote. That was serious. Now, why is it important to say that? Because a lot of people, especially people on the left, said then it's not a serious thing. It's you know, it's an armed shit show. It's um, it's uh, it's just a, it's just kind of a product of this weird and surreal America that we live in, and it, it was never serious. I think we we now know because of the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, they coordinated with the Trump machine. It was serious. No, was it fascism? No. Um, we need to understand. The threat of fascism in the 20th century lies, I mean, it's immediate for those of us who are fighting it. You know, 
I have film of people sort of shouting into my face, we've researched you, you're a traitor to our country here in Britain, on the on the main street, on the equivalent of Capitol Hill, on Whitehall. Yeah. But but it's not the main problem now. The main problem is the, the alliance of a radicalised far right in your country, as you are just talking about, with guns, with a nationals, a nationalist orientated section of the elite that has cut loose from uh, the globalist rules-based system and simply wants to enrich itself and to maintain power and to, to make it impossible for any kind of liberalism, let alone the left. I mean, I'm a member of a left-wing, you know, a Labour, a, a, a social democratic party. It's liberalism. They want to make it impossible for liberalism, for a rules-based order, for the rule of law to exist. And therefore, I think that's what's symbolic and, and a kind of future-pointing, uh, yeah. the future-pointing nature of 6th of January is that what they will always do is they will always create a space for mayhem on the streets, for racist violence, violent misogyny. Um, that's the new deal of politics we're dealing with. And my frustration, Heidi, and to the rest of you, is that so many people within the liberal establishment, the, the corporate media people, the advisors, the, even the lawmakers, they, they cannot see how close we are to the complete disintegration of the deal we have had since at least 1945. So that's yes. my pitch from, yes. what from, from my perspective of things. And what, what I would love, I would, I would sure. love you to um, to tell our viewers about what does Trump represent and what is his project. Well, look, I think that's now four years on. It's much easier to get our heads around. You, I don't know if you remember, we were all watching American TV and we were going, you know, we were having that oh shit moment when we kept kept seeing pundits saying, saying oh, the establishment will keep him under control. Uh, you know, they will, uh, he will, he'll just be a normal right-wing president. It'll be like Bush, but not so clever, you know what I mean? Um, but no, we know, no, what it is all over the all world. Over the world the, I'm going to big echo from big myself echo. here, by the way. Um, all over all the, world, the world. Let um, me just check something. When I, when I get booted off the system and come back, it screws up my audio. Is it better now, Sean? Okay. You, you shouldn't have an echo now. Yeah. Yeah. I, do I do, I can hear it. Okay. I don't know if you can take, turn me take, down. Turn me down. Yeah, take it. I'll, I'll, I'll push on through. All over the world, sections of what we once called the neoliberal elite, you know, the globalists, sections decided they'd had enough of globalization. And you can see why. It's a zero, it's a negative sum game, unless you're in the Chinese elite. You know, it, there is less growth, there is less wealth. Um, the only thing that's keeping the whole system alive is central bank money your country, my country, in Europe, in China. Now, the thing is, at a certain point in the middle of the last decade, a bunch of rich people said, you know what, enough globalization. We just go nationalist. We, 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 we carry on with the free market, with the uh, corporate welfare, with uh, privatization, um, high, uh, high sort of inequality. But we do it on a national basis. And what we then seek is a new alliance. Uh, the 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 German philosopher, German-American philosopher, Hannah Arendt, had a, a great phrase for this in the 1930s. She called it the temporary alliance of the elite and the mob. I mean, and what better what better work phrase could describe? describe. You see, you, you know, see, Jared, Jared Kushner, Jared Kushner on, the, on, the, on, the, um, on the platform on, the platform on, January, on 6th January 6th. With his, with all his kind of, his kind of, 
um, um, rich coterie alongside the classic mob. The New Deal is that we are dealing with the alliance of the elite and the mob around, in most countries, a an ethno-nationalist project. And it's overt. And here's the danger. It's never been stated so overtly. Sure, the Republicans always had a white supremacist wing. You know, and you know they had used the so-called Southern strategy in your country to cement that around them. But they, but, but the leadership was never overtly white supremacist. No, it's the, we've got that here now. We've got it here with Boris Johnson. Uh, we've got it here with our Prime Minister. We've got you know tonight we've seen the launch of a French presidential candidate, Eric Zemmour. If you if your viewers don't know that name, get to know it. He's okay. the new far right uh, candidate in France. And he's not just kind of making kind of, you know, polite allusions to a white supremacy agenda. His his phraseology is indistinguishable, for example, from Tucker Carlson. They're wow. saying the great the great replacement theory is happening. The great replacement of the white people of Europe is happening through migration. It's a form of genocide against our race. This guy is likely to be second. If we are really lucky, he's second. Uh, he doesn't win. So what? what's going on is within that, within that, within that new alliance of the elite and the mob, as always, for those of us who study the 1930s, what the elite never realizes is that the mob aspect of it always has its own agenda. And they can't just switch on and switch off the anger and frustration and legitimization of violence that they've already done. They can't switch it off once it suits them to switch it off. That, of course, is what happened in, in, in the Weimar Republic in Germany in the 1930s, 20s and, and early 30s. You know, there were a bunch of rich people who thought Adolf Hitler was their plaything, their tool, their puppet in politics. He would get to power, but they would rule. Within six months of Hitler coming to power, every right-wing party, including really right-wing parties, that looked and sounded like Trump's Republicans, was dissolved. Because... Fascism has a radicalizing dynamic of its own. Um, so that's that's the perspective I'm working within. And I, I can't I can't ring the alarm bell loud enough. I don't care if people say to me, you know, this guy keeps you know keeps warning about fascism and you know it's been we've been warned about this before. I don't care if reputationally people kind of uh kind of start hitting on those of us who are saying this is so serious uh, because democracy is so fragile it is complete modern democracy is so fragile and already you know we we, we blithely look at riot cops you know if 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 a, the average person in the 1930s in britain germany france looked at a riot cop today they would they wouldn't even know what they were dealing with you know that the, the technology of repression that existed the last time fascism existed yeah. um, was was peanuts compared to what we have today. Well, well we, also, we also have the the internet, which is a very different um, yeah. thing to add to the ingredients, um, which makes everything far faster, far more intense yeah. because they're controlling somebody's entire information space right yeah. inside them into into this fascist propaganda that over time basically just 
you know, brainwashes them. It, it, it delivers undue influence. And is, is, and, is that uh, one of the, uh, the points you make, Paul, is that the, the speed at which uh, QAnon wanted to have something uh, accomplished resulted in them becoming uh, labeled as a domestic terrorist group. Is that right? Is that what the... Well, look, what, what, what the FBI noticed about QAnon was that in, in most fascist ideologies, for example, the European New Right, you may have heard of Alexander Dugin in Russia or uh, um, uh, Guillaume Fay is, was a yeah. was a far right fascist writer in, in France. There, what they want is day X, day X, the day the, the Western system collapses, an ethnic civil war sweeps the world and ends up creating massive mono ethnic states the size of continents this is their fantasy but because it is a fantasy it always has to happen in the deep distance and so what they do is prepare they're prepping they're gathering the guns they're stockpiling the ammunition they're making the death list we we, we you know one one sixth of all terror uh prisoners terrorist prisoners in britain right now is a far-right prepper you know it used to be everyone was islamist and before that, everyone was Irish wow. Republican in Britain's yeah. jails. No, it's far-right preppers. But what the FBI said, quite rightly, about QAnon, the problem with QAnon, apart from that it's nuts, uh, another problem is that it's co-created. Q himself, whoever it was, you know, is right, allowing man. other people to co-create the ideology. Right, but the right. real problem is it brings Day X really close to us. Is that, yeah. is, you know, in QAnon, Day X was meant to be 6th of January. If you, if you think about it, it uh, or it was October this October this year, well, they're not thinking in the mid twentieth century, twenty first first century. They're thinking about now, and right. therein lies the danger of it. And they want a global ethnic war, as you have explained, and you also have explained that the way you fight fascism is in people's heads. And I'd like you to expound on that. Because what they're forcing us to do with all this ugly right now is swing baseball bats at each other, which then gets them their global ethnic war. And I'd yep. like you to explain how to fight fascism in people's heads. You also said the left got it wrong in the 30s, and I want you to tell us how to get it right. How do we de-escalate this shit? So, you know, I've been engaged with fascism and anti-fascism as, as a leftist in Britain, both you know, intellectually and physically, for most of my life. But it was only when I saw QAnon that I really understood what had I really began to understand what had happened in that those moments of mass flourishing of fascist movements here in Europe in the 30s. Because we had the evidence there. We had the writing of, you know, some of the historians have been little, little read. Uh, some of the psychologists have been forgotten. But they, at the time, a lot of people at once noticed that what was going on, particularly with Nazism in Germany, was like a mass quasi-religious conversion. That's how you go from 2% to 17% in a year, um, it, which Hitler did in, in, in 1930. And so I've had to reframe what it means to be an anti-fascist. I think I'm far more now concerned. Of course, I, you know, I think the people who do the monitoring and the infiltration and the identification of, of far-right you know, extremists are right to do so. But I think we need to win an intellectual battle. I, I, know, I know when I say the word intellectual, it's the wrong word. We need to win a battle of ideas 
that 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 really cannot be won unless we mobilize beyond the left we we need to trigger liberalism into defending itself um and so i think it's it's about you know the techniques are well known to those ngos and uh, campaign groups that fight fascism pre-bunking so getting politicians to say you know in advance you know for example you know there is no it, the theories of the vaccine being and bill gates injecting your arm with a 5g chip are wrong people it is ludicrous to claim so people who claim so are lying um, it's the same with the great replacement um you know the leader of our opposition party keir starmer of the labor party he was confronted live on air with a woman who rang and said i am a working class woman i feel my culture is being destroyed by migrants they're coming here and they're they're invading us and and it's going to wipe us out and what he should have said is madam that is the great replacement theory it is a fascist theory uh, and it is rubbish and you are wrong to even be speaking about it on live on radio but what he'd said because he'd never heard of it because the politicians don't read about politics they're the least knowledgeable about political theory of anybody else anybody in the in the political world um he just said well i i i hear what you're saying but i disagree with you no you can't do that we've got to go on an offensive in favor of rationalism, in favor of rationality, in favor of science, in favor of um, the rule of law. And right. what you notice, the more you think about the need to do that, the more you notice how little liberalism itself does of that. So that's what I want to do. You ask about what was wrong with the thir- in the 30s. What was wrong <laughs> in the 20s and 30s is that the, the far left and the socialist left fought each other, never united, there were deep sociological reasons for that, uh, very deep sociological reasons that we probably find hard to get our heads around. You know, we were talking about employed workers versus unemployed workers. But in the end, what flipped it around was the, the communist movement, which of which I'm immensely critical. But the communist international said, you know what, this is an existential moment. We need to find unity between communists, socialists and liberals. And they called it the popular front. One of the first things you learn if you're on the left is, oh, it failed. You know, it was no good. It betrayed the workers. Well, it did all of those things. But in France and Spain, it prevented fascist governments being elected. And that's why I'm, I'm so what I think happened in America with the Biden victory was effectively a version of that. That is Biden and the, the kind of Stacey Abrams, the, the Joe Biden, the AOC kind wing of, of the Democrats. We're on this, the same project, defeat Trump. Um, do they have to agree? No. Do, do they agree? No. Um, does one side repress the other and, and throw shit at each other? Yes, they do, unfortunately. But but what for, for me, the model is France, 1936. You try and do as much as you can unity and action between liberalism, socialism, and the far left, and all the other things we have now, like Greens, like, like black liberation politics, you bring them all together around one goal, which is to defend democracy, and in the American context, yeah. the rule of law. Yeah. The, I, I just wanted to say that, that that resonates especially well with me over the last few days. I've um, yeah, uh, a lo- I've had a lot of people with uh, you know um, angry with with me for saying something about you know Susan Sarandon, and a whole bunch of them uh, said to me out loud. 
liberalism and anti-fascism cannot coexist. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, and these are all far leftists, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the kind of commie, ab, like angry Antifa types. Um, and it's a real problem. There's a very large segment of the of the left that has been more or less co-opted into into um, you know a version of fascism, and they go around calling people like me shit libs. Um, you know, and I'm sorry, please find somebody who's louder about anti-fascism than I am. You know? Well, I I think that's an amazing point you brought up because if they got it wrong in the 30s we have an opportunity to get it right and the way to get it right is to put people under the same fucking umbrella who do not want to see fascism and build that army and get them to defend democracy uh in all its imperfections or we will be looking at it in the rearview mirror um go ahead and say what you want to say paul i've got a couple questions for you yeah so so one problem you know, one problem you have specifically in, Amer- in the United States is the Constitution. I mean, um, the, you know, I, to, for an, to an, we to kind of like it, but yeah, no, we know good, what you mean. The, to an outsider, it looks like this: the First Amendment gives fascists the right to call for genocide, and the Second Amendment gives them the right to do it. Uh, yeah. No, in other uh-huh. con- in other perfectly capitalist countries that are not socialist paradises like Germany, there are actually anti-fascist laws. You yep. cannot call uh-huh. for genocide. You cannot yeah. wear a swastika. Uh, no, I think that there was a, a in my book I described the work of Karl Lowenstein. Now he was a German liberal who moved to Yale. He, he became a, 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 a refugee in the 30s, and he wrote a, a very influential essay called Militant Democracy. And what he's, he argued with the liberals of his time and the conservatives, the purpose of democracy is not to facilitate fascism. It is to stop it. And therefore, you know, I, I don't expect the first or second amendment to be repealed anytime soon. But you can, um, especially at a state level, you know, if, if a state level law can exonerate Karl Rittenhouse uh, for, for shooting people on a demonstration, then a state level law in America could do the opposite. It could it could criminalize uniforms it could criminalize you know open carry and the rest of it you could do a lot um through law and the one thing um uh, lowenstein insisted on in the 30s was that the police should be policed the police have to be subject to the rule of law itself that's why you know that's why in germany there is a anti-fascist police force one of its main tasks is to police the police and army it looks for fascists in the armed forces, in the police, and it finds them. You know, last year, Nordkreutz, look it up, Google it, Nordkreutz, 25 activists, mainly ex-police, ex-military, they'd assembled a 25,000-strong death list, arms, caches, and the rest of it, from police computers. So, you know, okay, that's a terrible thing. The law didn't stop them doing that, but it did prosecute them. And it did. And having an anti-fascist police force I think this is one thing I think Biden has to think about, about how the, the FBI itself does. If the FBI is to is to defend American democracy, I mean, who knew the FBI would be relying on the FBI to defend fucking American democracy? But right. you know, if, it, if it is to do that, then it's got to 
learn again lessons from the 30s yeah. that's oh how the, the, pro the problem with the, the these lessons is that we're totally not learning them in charge the yeah. guy in charge of the fbi is christopher ray Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who's in the Federal Society? Right? We are going to scream this loud, though. We are going to get thousands of people to scream this yeah, message. Yeah, absolutely. Damn messages. straight, we are. We we are going to we are going to be we are going to be cutting this up and putting out little quick hits on this. We have between all of us, we do have a relatively strong uh, presence, and we are going to get this message out. This is so freaking important i cannot take notes fast enough unity in action quick quick note uh i came into this uh you know 2015 2016 i'd become an environmentalist this is a paper straw you know there's no plastic involved in this and i have to say that because my friend diana cohen watches and she heads the plastic pollution coalition and she'd be pissed if she thought i was backsliding um and and I found you because I did this major thread, Zero Days to Waste, on uh, dealing with climate justice and climate change issues. And you said what's left of capitalism is going green. That's how it's going to happen. It has to go green in order to survive. And what we all find in our work is it's always the fossil fuel fascists or big oil behind so much of what we are dealing with, whether it's anti-vax or school board menace. We always right. find their money. And so can you speak on, we got only a couple minutes left, but yep. anything that you can speak on that to try to get people to step out and say, this is the big critical view. Look, if I were, I'm a lifelong leftist. When I hear a racist or an anti-Semite or a violent misogynist, one of the first things I think is unlike today's generation, I think, there's somebody who hates the world as it is. Maybe we can convince them. No, you don't convince them by agreeing with them. You convince them by disagreeing with them. You know, uh, how many of us in the labor movement, we go into workplaces, we start a new job, we get a, the union ticket, and, and we hear the racism and the sexism, and, and we're, we're out there. We're not writing these people off. We're saying, with work, with education, with an argument, they could, they could flip. Uh, that's you know if that's not possible then we're in deep trouble because you know millions of americans voted for trump we've got to think of ways to flip them but the first people set of people we need to flip before them or you know it, i speak no you know me metaphorically in, in 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 this order are the liberals the, lib the and that liberals, I don't mean, you know, Hillary Clinton. I mean, the ordinary person with a college education, maybe not even with a college education, sitting there in their small town thinking, you know, um, I quite like America being the greatest country in the world and a free place and the rule of law. And, you know, I salute the flag and all the rest of it. Well, here's the thing I want to say to them. 1859, John Brown goes into Harper's Ferry, tries to kick off the American Civil War, fails. Okay, um, gets killed. Two years later, there is a civil war. If you are not careful, the Trump January 6th insurrection will be like a bookend event to John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry. It will lead in 2023-24, as Trump makes his second bid, it will lead to mass violence. And you need to strengthen your democracy. And the way you do that is by convincing people that democracy, A, is a great principle, and B, delivers to them. So you need to deliver. I think this is what Biden does get in a way that the Clintons never got. Um, 
Biden understands that American capitalism has to start delivering to American workers. And now that's, we can only do, we can only work with the material we have. And the material we have is Biden in America. I'm sad to say Macron in France. Um, here, the Labour Party I work, I, I work in. And we need to convince the people who go, yeah, but I'm not interested in fascism. I'm not interested in all this democracy stuff. That it's like that. I'll, I'll end with a quote from from Leon Trotsky. Trotsky once had an argument with um, pacifists, and he said, "Look, you may not be interested in war, but war is interested in you." And I'd say that about fascism. You may not be interested in who's who in the Proud Boys, who's who in the Oath Keepers, but they are interested in you because they're going to take down American democracy before 2025 if they can. And that's the sobering thought. For us in, in the West of Europe, our entire security relies on a stable and outward looking and liberal America. So if that goes, we are up to, you know, in, in deep shit. But um, I, by raising this point, I just want to make, to try to focus people's attentions on, on the positives, the thing we can do. Yes. <laughs> yes. I just wanted to let that sit for a minute. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Holy shit. That's that's it. What can we, we, we need do? To, we need we need to take it seriously. And and um you're exactly right. This entire project is about preparing for mass violence. And I don't I don't I don't care which direction you're looking. I don't care if you're a, a social democrat or you know a central capitalist if you believe in democracy we all need to be yeah. marching the same direction yes. right now yeah. period yeah. end of god dang story and there's a lot of money invested in trying to divide us up and the racial issue is continually trying to uh it's always being weaponized and i think you had a beautiful line about uh, how so much of the base is driven by fear of freedom, Black Lives mm -hmm. Matters, 40,000 years of keeping women's, you know, lib down. And is there one beautiful line you can say <laughs> to the base that we can try to get out into the collective conscience of our country? Well, I don't know whether it's a beautiful line, but I think it's it's a line that comes from from Daniel Guerin, who was an anarchist who was in Nazi Germany in the first months. And, he, and he'd been on both sides, on the communist side and on the Nazi side, studying it. And he said, the, when it gets to as big as it is, the only way to stop it is not to repress it, not simply to repress fascism, but you have to provide a living, breathing alternative for people who are sick of the world. You know, if you've yeah. ever met some of these QAnon people, they feel liberated by QAnon. It's, they the, do. it's the best thing that happened to them. So we've got to give them something better. Um, okay. We can't, but but that, but that's what we need to convince liberalism of. Yeah. Thank you so much. I just, it's very emotional. We've been <laughs> watching the destruction of our country for a minute. Thank yeah. you. Well, let's 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 just be strong and and we yeah. can win. We can yeah. win. We can put them. Yeah. We can put them in a box. It's been done. We can put them in the box marked. It's over again, guys. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We did it before. Sean to the rescue. So would you oh, please? Dear. Thank We've you. We've got to come in with smart Vikings. Yeah. Thank you.
Thank you, Paul That's Mason. Amazing. We love you. Thank you. And <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Stay with Pleasure, Paul. Stay with us two Bye -bye. more minutes, if you don't mind, because we're going to do yep. our digital descent now. Sean, our uh, anarchist art director, co-producer, music <laughs> musicologist, right. he does a digital descent, and we'd love you to stay with us if you can. And if yeah. not, I know it's late, but no, thank great. you for the inspiration. Sure. It's very meaningful. All right, guys. You ready, Heidi? You want to run it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. This is another uh, by popular demand from the uh, audience in the comments. So you guys, uh, everybody wants more Marjorie Taylor Greene. So here's, uh, here's her trying to answer the question, um, uh, what does Congress do? How does Congress work? We have, we have been the most blessed nation in the history of the world. We've been the most blessed people. I mean, if you're a woman listening to this show, you know a washing machine is a blessing. A dishwasher is a bless blessing. We have got to stop being lazy. We have got to stop saying we're too busy. We have got to stop saying, oh, but we go to work. Let me tell you, I know what we all do. We go on vacations. We go and have wine with our girlfriends. We go and we go hunting and fishing and we have our hobbies. If we're able to have all these wonderful hobbies and these great lives, then we're able to take time out and hold Congress accountable. Shut the government down. Shut it down. Go ahead. I think the best thing we can do right now is try to power down. We copy it down, Eagle. Guess what? I've been the most effective member of Congress this session. How does Congress work? When they kick me off committees, Republicans over here said nay. The Democrats said yay. What just happened? What? How does Congress work? I don't know. I don't really care about PhDs from Harvard. How does Congress work? Well, I don't know. I haven't met anybody that I think is smart enough. The t-shirt is, is from Cat Turd. There it is. What? <laughs> All right, then. That's it. That's your answer. There's I'm, no one more worthy of scorn. I, I think that um, my, my refrain is to shoot them into space. <laughs> just, That's right. If we, could just, if we could just shoot them into space in our digital descent, that'd be lovely. Paul. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Paul. Pleasure. Good night. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Sean. Well, shit. Yep. Yeah. Sean. I yeah. needed I needed the lulls there because uh, this, you know, <laughs> that one was that one was was off the hook, man. <laughs> it was a, it was a little, it's a little heady. You gotta watch that. It, uh, by I expect uh, twenty four thousand views by uh, you know, uh, you know three p.m. tomorrow. It's hard to edit her pacing. Like her language is just fucking balls to the wall, a thousand miles a minute. <laughs> so it's like one minute. It's like you know. No. She has a Captured. job to do, and it's to uh, help the yeah, autocratic capture of our country. All right, gentlemen. Well, we have so much to think about. We have so much work ahead. Episode yeah. four. Flippin' ruled. Um, I just can't thank you enough for participating in, uh, you know, the salvation of our democracy. See you guys. Talk to you soon. We out. Stay rad, everybody. Stay with us and stay rad.
What's up? Oh, if only, if only people could see what happens during the credits. All right, guys. <laughs> I, I, I love you. Bye.